We have the book of Acts, which shows us the birth of the church and what the Holy Spirit did at the beginning and is to continue to do um, and is never supposed to end. That's why the book of Acts doesn't have an end. It continues on to this day. Timothy's, both of them, and the Titus book help us understand what the well, what the organization is supposed to look like. I, I, I shudder when I hear people, I don't like organized religion. You know, well, I don't like religion, but God is very much a God of order. He loves organization. Uh, in fact, at one point, Jesus says, I've given some to be pastors, some to be teachers, some to be prophets, some to be all these things. He gives specific callings upon people's lives. Um, and so he, he does order things. He picked Moses to lead. It could have been anybody. Um, It could have been Aaron. It could have been Miriam. It could have been anybody, but it wasn't. It was Moses. And so God orders things on purpose. It's very difficult to have two CEOs, you know. Um, There just has to to be that way. There has to be order. And so that's what these books are designed to, to help poor Timothy and Titus learn and know what it means to be a pastor. Now, I've read through these and taught through these several times, and every time I go through them, it's a, it's a whole new season for me, personally, in my walk and in my calling. And I take things, <laughs> well, I read it completely differently every time I go through it. I mean, it's the same truth, but it speaks to me in different ways. And this time, as I read through this first chapter and was going through it, it was the word remain is what stuck out. Paul spends his first chapter trying to convince convince Timothy to stay. (laughs) Not that I think about going all the time, but I get it. (laughs) Uh, Timothy's got a hard job, as we're about to read. Paul left him in charge in Ephesus, and Paul has moved on and said, Timothy, I'm going to leave you behind, and I have left you behind, and I want you to straighten some things out. Now, it's, it's fun for Timothy, not fun, but maybe that's a strong word, but it is, it is a joy to say, I'm with Paul. Yeah, Paul, get him. Yeah, I got Paul. You know, you, you're behind Paul 100%. It's a whole other thing to be the one in front, and now you're the one, you know. And Timothy is discovering that. And so Paul has to write this letter to Timothy, who he's left in Ephesus, who is considering leaving Ephesus without the mission being accomplished. And so he's going to encourage him to remain. Now, some of you may have been praying in your own life, God, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go or remain? You know, I don't know that this is the answer for you. In that specific, so don't take it like, well, God said remain, I'm going to stay. I don't know that. Keep it in context when you study these things. He has been given a job, a mission, He's been commanded by Paul to do a specific task in the ministry, and he's, he's going to abandon his post. He's going to leave what he was called to do, what he was told to do, what he said he would do. And Paul says, that's not okay. That's not okay. Uh, one of the things we'll learn as we go through all three of these books is that volunteerism isn't in Scripture. We get confused about that, I think. I volunteer. Ministry is a calling, any ministry. I don't care if it's coffee or plunger duty or teaching or chair arranging. It's not volunteerism. It's a calling upon your life. Everything needs to be that in your life when it comes to ministry. When it comes to serving God's people, it's a calling. And a calling isn't something that you can walk away from. 
It's something you, st- you stay put, you do, until your commander who called you to do that calls you to do something else, and that's important. We don't get to just flippantly turn it on and off uh, based off of our feelings. That, that is volunteerism, and the church suffers under that greatly, I think, today in, those, in, that, in that way. So as we go through this, we'll learn a lot of hard truths some of the requirements to be in ministry, some of the things that are, even to, to set up chairs or even to do plunger duty or coffee duty or whatever, there's some requirements. Um, there's some holiness. There is some biblical doctrine that needs to be understood and believed before you can even do those things. And uh, for the most part, the church has come to the conclusion that it's, and just give me a warm body, you know. And we suffer because of that. And the people that get served under that warm body suffer because the criteria wasn't met or the level of uh, devotion wasn't reached. We suffer. So not only is it going to give us a level of understanding of, of what's required of us, but something that we go to, uh, a, uh, something we aspire to in the sense that we, we, we want to have that standard in my life and in your life. You want to have that standard. I don't walk away. I don't quit until God tells me to do something else, you know. Um, Anyway, that's what we're going to get into here. And it's very important for all of us to understand. In verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul calls himself an apostle by the will of the Lord, by commandment of God. I've been called, I've been commanded. Paul can't do anything else. He's not allowed to. I want as many people saved as possible, but I also want them to know what they're signing up for when they get saved. I think that's important. I don't want to go to hell. Well, sign me up. I mean, who does? But when you surrender your life, when you completely put your trust and your eternity in God's hands, and you understand he died for you, and that the requirement is for me to die to self and to follow him and to live for him, there's a whole lot more involved with just don't send me to hell. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to sin the way I want to sin. I just need that fire insurance so I don't have to go to hell. God says, no, that's not salvation. Salvation is changing you from the inside out, surrendering your will to mine. There's a devotion there. There's an expectation there of God saying, you said you wanted to be my son or daughter. I believed you. Now I'm going to train you like I would my son and daughter. And I'm going to conform you into the image of my son Jesus. And that's not easy because there's a lot of things that have to go. And there's a lot of things that need to be added to our lives. Many people come to God on their terms. And we're not allowed to do that either. We have to come to God on his terms. He's the Savior He is our hope. He is everything. He is our commander. He tells us what to do. We do it. The second thing he says to Timothy is that he's a true son in the faith, that we don't believe that Timothy was saved by Paul, and yet Paul takes the spiritual fatherhood seriously when he calls him that. He he was probably saved by his grandmother, Eunice. She was a believer. We know that from other stories and from other places. But... Timothy, who ran into Paul at home, went with Paul on the mission field, in the mission field, to 
serve alongside of him. And Paul has taken him under his wing. And of course, um, he's been a father to him. I consider you a true son. Paul doesn't have many true sons. We read from one of the other epistles that I have no one else to send you but Timothy. Of all the ministry that Paul ever did, all the churches he started, all the people that were with him and then left him and then were with him, at one point in his ministry, decades into it, he says, I've only got one that will actually do what I tell him to do and, and love you like I love you. One. Timothy's that one. He tells Timothy three things. I want you to have grace, mercy, and peace. Now, these are typical greetings. Grace is the Gentile greeting. It means I hope your day is better than you deserve. That's all it means. Karis, I hope your day is better than you deserve. You'd wake up, you'd bend over to get your newspaper, you'd see your neighbor and say, Karis, hope your day is better than you deserve. We do that all the time to each other. Hope you have a good day. That is our hope for you, you know. Now, if you ran to a Jewish guy, you'd say, Shalom, peace. Hope you have peace. Thank you, you know. When it comes to the pastors, he adds this other thing, mercy. I hope you don't get what you do deserve. See, grace is receiving from God the blessings that you don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving the wages of sin that you do deserve. Mercy. And Timothy and Titus and any pastor and anybody called to ministry needs to know that in their heart because you get put in a funny position when you get into leadership or when you get into ministry. You're going to need a lot of mercy. You're going to need a lot of it. And here's the thing. To help you guys along, for those of you thinking about going into ministry or maybe are in it now, that grace, mercy, and peace does not originate from people. It comes from God. The grace I receive and need comes from my Father in heaven. The peace that I need in my heart can only come from God. And the mercy, although we appreciate it when people give it to us, we have to believe and know that God has mercy for us and our calling. That's got to be from him. Because sometimes you'll get the cherry on the top in the ministry and people will give you grace, mercy, and peace. And that's a wonderful moment. But you don't dwell on that. And you don't feed off of that. And that isn't what gets you going for the next time you minister. You minister and you serve because God has grace, mercy, and peace. And Timothy needs to know that because he's got a tough, tough job. See, the, uh, the Ephesians, so we, you can read the Ephesians letter. We've already gone over it. But they've got some serious doctrinal problems. And it's not that it's it's not on some Friday night Bible study in somebody's home far, far away from the real core church. It's in the leadership of Ephesus. This church in Ephesus has leadership people that are teaching false doctrine. And guess what, Timothy? You get to root it out. That is not a fun job. To go into an established church and find out there's false teaching and find out who the elder or who the deacon or whoever it is that senior associate pastor is and say, you've got to, and call them out on it. Well, this is how we do things in Ephesus. Not anymore. Paul commanded me and I'm commanding you. Commanding. Can you imagine? We don't talk that way in church. You're going to command me? Timothy says, yes. 
I'm commanding you to stop teaching false doctrine in the church now. It stops now. They're not going to like me after I say that, Paul. (laughs) You're not there to be liked. You're there to do that job. Because here's the thing. As much as the false doctrine can maybe be you know, slipped under the rug or, or brushed under the rug like it has been obviously for a long period of time. It's doing damage to the gospel of Jesus Christ and that can't be allowed to happen. For the sake of unity, let's just let it go. It's hard to call things, call a spade a spade. It is. It's much easier to just say, fine, it's a club. I don't care. I don't want to deal with it. Timothy is at that place. Paul says, I don't want you to be in that place. I want you to know that there's grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been mandated to do this, commanded to do this. We've been commanded to do this. It's not easy. And this is what ministry is. This is what it is. As I urged you when I was uh, when I went to, into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. The teachings have moved from the essentials, from a life-changing experience with other brothers and sisters in the Lord being iron sharpening iron and becoming more holy and more beautiful and more Christ-like to let's talk about Bible codes. Oops. Let's talk about the latest and greatest prayer of Jabez or let's talk about uh, genealogies and let's talk about that miraculous moment where someone had an experience of an after-death experience. They wrote a book about it. It was a little boy. No, 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 no. That's not what we're here to do. That's how most cults start, by the way. Angel Moroni came to me in a dream and gave me the Urim and the Thummim, special glasses and golden tablets with special writing upon them where only I could read them. And I have, I have now translated those hieroglyphics into the Book of Mormon for you. Mm-mm. These are big lofty fables. Paul says, I don't want you to teach any other doctrine than what I've taught you. Don't go beyond that. It was enough. It's complete. It's perfect. It's what God showed me. It's what I showed you. It's what's written. It perfectly lines up. It's of the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. All these other things are a waste of time. These things are causing disputes instead of godly edification. We're spending more time talking about that than we are about the serious things we should be talking about. I charged you that you charge them. I commanded you that you command them to stop doing those things. Now the purpose of the commandment, and what he means is the law. There's not like a commandment. It's the commandment. The the idea behind a commandment from God is this is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. The law, the commandments, were meant to bring us to a place of need of a Savior. That's what the law is for. 
And some have decided to move away from what the law was intended to be used for, to give us a good conscience, a pure heart. And now that's all we talk about is the keeping of the law. And Paul can say this to them. They don't even know what they're talking about. They don't understand the implications of it. And we've gone over that several times here. The implication of believing this ruins this, 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 and this. It all ties together. Paul says they don't even know what they're saying. Keep the Sabbath as a way of salvation. You can't add to it. You don't understand what you're doing. When you say you have to worship on the seventh day, Saturday only, and believe on Jesus, the and ruins Jesus. When you say you have to keep these sacraments and believe in Jesus, you've ruined Jesus. You've ruined the grace. You've ruined the forgiveness. You've ruined the gift. What a miserable birthday party to show up and have to pay a cover charge to come into your own birthday party. We got a bunch of gifts in here, but it's 50 bucks to get in to get them. Well, thanks for the gifts. Well, they're not gifts anymore, are they? That's the idea with these other doctrines. Whatever it is, and Jesus ruins the gospel. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're doing. It seems pious. It seems noble. It seems holy and reverent and all these things. It has to be Jesus only. It has to be the grace of God only. It has to be. Or or it isn't him. It's just that. Paul says these guys have gotten in deep into the Ephesian church and they are teaching these things. They're teaching circumcision. They are teaching keeping the Sabbath. They are teaching the law and they don't even understand what they're saying because they, well, they've never understood the gospel of Jesus Christ then. I get worried when I hear people talking about these ands. I'm very careful to listen to. Now explain to me how you got saved. That's the question you ask. Explain to me how you got saved. Explain to me how you're going to heaven, why you're going to heaven, what's happened in your life, what has transpired according to scriptures that is causing you to go to heaven. Explain that to me. Then we can talk about the and better. And more than likely, they do not have a clear understanding of what the gospel is. It's a very simple, simple message. It's good news for a reason. And in fact, it was such good news that several times in the passages, people say, it can't be that. It's too easy. It's too non-me. It doesn't have, I, I don't get to participate in it. I just receive it? You mean Jesus died on the cross for my sins without me asking him to? He took my sins from me and placed them on the cross, and the wrath of God that was intended for me, every sin I ever committed, past, present, and future, was placed upon this Jesus, and God's wrath Intended for me was poured out on him. And at one time in history, one time, not over and over again, the sins of the world were taken away by by the Lamb of God. What do I have to do to, to, to get to heaven? Believe on him whom he sent. Believe that that story is true. Believe that what Christ did is it. And they were just, what do you mean believe? You mean believe on my knees 12 times around the building? You mean believe and worship on Saturday? You mean believe and and do this, that, or the other thing? Nope. Nope. I just told you the gospel. Your responsibility is to believe. If you didn't understand that, let me take you back to Abraham. Here's the story. Abraham, you're going to have a kid. And Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
two decades later, he has the kid. But he was accounted righteous the entire 20 years before the kid was born. He was saved because he believed. That's what believing in Christ means. When the snakes came into the camp in Egypt, here's another way to put it. God gives us lots and lots of pictures so we understand the simplicity of it, but the perfection of it. The vipers came in because the nation of Israel was sinning, and the vipers came in, were biting and killing people, and Moses prayed, please God, how do we stop this? I want you to make a brass serpent. I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to raise it up in the middle of the camp, and anybody that looks at the brass serpent will get saved. And the Bible says some did. Jesus said, so Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be high and lifted up. It's the same thing. Look upon the cross, look upon the serpent, look upon sin placed on the cross. He became sin, Jesus, it was told. Jesus became sin for us. Look to the cross and you'll be saved. How does that work? That doesn't make sense. Looking at a cross, believing. You believed God's way of salvation. That is salvation. You can't have an and. It ruins the cross. You don't understand what you're talking about, he says. They talk about the law as if it improves grace, if it improves your salvation. It does not. In fact, it it hurts it. But we know the law is good if we do it lawfully, if we use it lawfully. That the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, for murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing, in case I missed something, you know, because we love lists. Oh, my sin wasn't on the list. I must be okay. No, let me cover everything. And any other thing that is contrary to sound teaching or sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. I came in contact with the law when I was told, these are the requirements to get to heaven. Perfection. You have never had a thought towards a woman immorally. Because if you have, then you've committed adultery. You've broken a commandment. The commandment demands justice. The justice deserved is death. Eternal separation from God. Have you ever hated somebody without a cause? If you have, then you've broken this commandment, the commandment of thou shalt not murder. And you now have justice upon your head, which is death. Now, I run into these commandments, I run into the law as an unbeliever, as a wicked man, someone who's guilty, and I say, okay, 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 I'm guilty, I'm guilty, now what? Which is confession. What do I do? I'm glad you asked, he says. I sent my son Jesus to pay the penalty for all of those sins that you've ever committed. I nailed them to the cross. Do you believe me? You could not find your way to heaven. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You've got too many strikes against you. There's no way to undo the sin you've done in your life. There's no way to get rid of that. So I will do it for you. God will come in the flesh and die on the cross for your sins. That's the good news. Is that not good news? For someone who can't save themselves to find themselves saved? You know? We've got some serious prayer that needs to go up for those people that are down, way down deep in the sub. I don't know if you know the story. The Titanic. Let's go look at the Titanic. 
Five guys, $250,000 a pop, get into a tin can and drop down, and now they can't have Bluetooth connectivity and control the sub anymore. They're at the bottom of the ocean. They've been there for days. We've got some ideas. We think we know where they are. They're, they're probably sending someone down now to get them out. I pray to God they pull these guys out. But they, it says in the newest story, they are locked from the outside. They cannot unlock themselves from the inside. Okay, you engineers. No <laughs> Someone got an F on that project right there. I laugh. I, I can't imagine being a family member waiting, and I can't imagine being the one who's been in the can. But what an excellent example of someone who is stuck and cannot save themselves, and certain death is imminent, unless someone from the outside comes down and takes them and saves them, and that's going to be some... Five happy campers when that door opens from whoever. And there's going to be hugs and there's going to be tears. That's good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ in perfect story form for us tonight. Jesus came and saved you from something you couldn't save yourself from. And if you believe it, can you imagine standing in the sub saying, I'm not coming out. This is too good to be true. Oh, no, no. I'm running out of the sub, and I'm take me to land, you know, now. Never getting near that again. We get the picture. We have been given and committed this good news, that we've been entrusted with this gospel. Do you understand, now that I've told you that story, why Paul is so adamant about rooting out false doctrine that's going to take away from that beautiful, perfect story? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that I'm not tolerant of your opinions and your ideas and all these things. It's that you are offending my Jesus and what he did. You're diminishing. You're taking credit. Can you imagine being so arrogant to hop out of there and say, it's a good thing I brought a can opener. (laughs) You had nothing to do with it. Yeah, but I was banging on the door, you know. No, 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 no. He is adamant. I have been entrusted with this gospel. Guys, everybody in this room has been entrusted with the gospel. We don't have the authority to water it down. We don't have the authority. We don't get to accept things the way the world wants us to accept them. We have to stand up for truth. Timothy, you can't leave, buddy. Because it's not a volunteer job. It's a command. You've been entrusted with the gospel. You've been given a commission, a mission to do a job, and you need to do it, Paul says. Tough love, buddy. Verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly ignorantly in unbelief. All of us have felt that at one point. I'm not qualified to do this, Timothy made me thinking. I don't know if Paul's running through all the things that could be going through Timothy's mind, why he wants to leave, the job's too hard, I'm not qualified, whatever it may be. He says, no, you've got to stay and do the hard things. And if you don't think you're qualified, look at me, Paul says. I'm the least qualified person, and yet here I am. You know, Of course, none of us would say that to Paul's face, but none of us really hung out with him before he got saved either. We just hear the wonderful stories afterwards. I mean, we heard some blips about him getting some letters and going around and persecuting the church, but that was over pretty quick in the book of Acts. And all of a sudden, he's the apostle, Paul, you know. 
He was so scary that the church was like, Paul's here. He says he's saved. No, he's not. The church didn't believe that he was saved. So that's great. We're glad he's saved. Send him away. We trust him that much, you know. For 14 years, he had to go away. Barnabas tried to bring him to the church. They said, that's great. Glad he's saved. Go away. And Barnabas, <laughs> he left for 14 years and finally was brought back into the church. Said, okay, it's been 14 years. We believe you now. We think you're still saved. We're really saved. You haven't killed anybody in 14 years. You know. Paul says, I am unqualified. I'm an insolent man. But God gave me mercy and called me. In fact, in that transition, when Paul was blinded by God and told to go get healed, the man he said was going to heal him, he had to go talk to this man who was supposed to lay hands on Paul and say, now Saul's coming to you and I want you to lay hands on him and give him his sight back because I've been telling him about all the things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. Paul was given a complete debriefing of his entire ministry. You're going to go through some difficult times, Paul. I am calling you to a calling that I really can't give to anybody else but you, and here's what it's going to look like. Shipwrecked, beaten, stoned. Your countrymen will hate you over and over again. And so he tells this guy, I told him all these things, I need you to lay hands on him. He goes, well, isn't that the guy that imprisons Christians? He goes, yeah, he, he used to do that. But he doesn't anymore. Paul received that good news from the Lord, received the forgiveness of sins, the things that the guilt that was driving him to persecute the church had been lifted off of his shoulders and off of his heart. He'd been set free from the burden of being more religious, more you know, venomous about the, about the duties and the keeping of the law. He was set free. He's a whole different person. He says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me, first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Just when you thought you were too far gone to be saved, you'd done too much to be saved. No way God's going to give you access to heaven. Watch what I do with Paul, the guy who literally is killing all of my people. The senior persecutor of the church at the time, probably considered the Antichrist at the time saves him. And Paul says, I was an example so you guys know how strong an arm God has, how far he can reach, who he can save. He's, he's not proud of it, but he owns the badge. I'm the chief of sinners. Nobody out sins me. And if he saved me, he can certainly save you. Now, why does he say that to Timothy? Because Timothy's got a tough job. Timothy's got to probably talk to a couple Saul's in the crowd, in the leadership. Guys that have never understood grace, mercy, and peace, and has to go in and tell them what you're teaching is false doctrine. I've got to talk to the Saul. It's easy following Paul. It's hard to talk to the Saul's to tell them they need to be Paul's. You see what I mean? Paul's saying, who knows who you might save? You might save someone like me if you do the hard thing. Not everybody's an easy save, you know. There are those that are out there 
Someone's been working them over their whole life, a friend of yours, a family member, whatever, and they've been plowed up and their life is a mess and they've got nowhere to turn. And then along comes you, Mr. Cherry Picker. (laughs) Do you need Jesus? I do. That was easy. Witnessing is easy. Get on your knees and pray. Ah, look at this. I got another one. You know, you didn't do the hard work. You were the guy that came along and got the harvest. But you weren't the one who plowed the soil. You weren't the one to plant the seed. You weren't the one to rain on it and bring the sunshine. You just got to harvest. Timothy, you got some hard soil to plow. There were three different groups that founded our beautiful nation, our God-blessed nation. There were the explorers. We love reading about Lewis and Clark, but there were others. Those are the folks that didn't have a trail. And they plowed their own trail, machetes or rivers or whatever it is, and they found their way. They didn't know where they were going. Mapping the Missouri. Can you imagine mapping the Mississippi and the Missouri? I mean, it's, it's just like, the, I don't know which way we're going. But they did it, and they'd stop every once in a while. They'd get on a tall bluff, and they'd look as far. They'd finish their drawing, and they'd get back in their canoe or carry their canoe because it was low, whatever, you know. Those are the explorers. Those are the trailblazers. Those are the ones that go where no one's ever gone before, running into things they've never, no one's ever seen, you know, virgin territory. After them, then will come the pioneers. Well, we're going to clear that field. We saw your map. We're going to knock down the trees. We're going to plow up all that. We're going to get these things. We're going we're to pioneer this area. We're going to tame it a little bit. And then the final group, the settlers. They come in. Paul's the explorer. Timothy is going to be our pioneer. And then the people that he sets up in leadership after he leaves, those are going to be the settlers. None of those are easy jobs. None of them. You know, when we talk about ministry and callings, usually because it's the person teaching, they say, I say, I was a guy that never liked to get in front of people, and here God puts me in front of people. Isn't that funny? Ha, 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 I hate speech class, and that's what we say. And it's true. It's true. I don't like talking to people. I prefer to be by myself, just alone with nature, and I love my cows. They look at me. I talk to my cows. The cows talk to me. My chickens talk to me. People, eh. But it works the other way, too. You know? You can be the... Maybe the best talker. (laughs) I'm not going to look at anybody in the face because who knows, you might be here. But you love to talk to people and you just can't wait for God's calling on your life and he puts you in a place where no one can hear you. It goes both ways. It's the calling. When he calls you, he equips you. I can't do this. I'm the guy that doesn't like to read. I mean, I do not like reading books. I don't read books. I don't. I hate them. If it comes out in a movie, that's how I'm going to get my literature. Make it into a movie, I'll watch it. I don't like reading. Isn't that ironic? I have to study this and read and read and read and read to teach. God equips. Where my weakness, that's the weakest part. I was a C-minus student. That's my, mainly because I didn't care, but I was a C-minus student. I'm not dumb. I just didn't like the way they taught, and I didn't like what we were being taught, and it's just, it's just God equips us to do the things that we're, we can't do ourselves, so he does it for us. I love reading the Bible. I don't like reading books. Likewise, you know, I, I've got to always talk to people. I've got to, well, he'll equip you to not. 
He'll equip you to mow or he'll equip you to, to, to be a prayer warrior by yourself. He'll, he'll equip you for that, you know. He'll equip you to be a pioneer. He'll equip you to be an explorer. He'll equip you to be a settler. It doesn't matter. He's got callings on our lives, all of us, each one of us. I'm the chief of sin. Let's get back to the text here. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, like a pastor, he says amen, but he doesn't mean amen. He's going to go on. This charge I commit to you. That's a command. Little one there beside there. See that? Verse 18, little one beside the word charge. Go to your center column reference. It says command. Paul is commanding Timothy. I commit to you, son Timothy. There's the guilt. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. It's a battle, Timothy. I don't know where you got the idea that it wasn't going to be a battle. We prophesied over you. The Lord spoke by the Holy Spirit as we laid hands on you that this was the calling upon your life. Now do it. I command you to fulfill the prophecy that was given over you. Wage good warfare. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. <laughs> we don't talk like that in church, do we? You know? Timothy, don't end up like these other guys I delivered over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. Son? <laughs> wow. They've suffered shipwreck. How come? Why did they suffer shipwreck? Because they rejected that sound doctrine. They thought they knew better than the sound doctrine. They thought that they could add to the sound doctrine or take away from the sound doctrine or come up with their own sound doctrine and they've suffered shipwreck. You're sailing along. You're having a wonderful time. God is moving you. Maybe you've had that experience before in your walk with Jesus, found yourself shipwrecked on an island. How did I get here? You got there because more than likely, now not always the case, but sometimes because you didn't believe what God warned you about. I'm clearly laying out to you a problem that I foresee. I'm prophesying over that this is going to be something you're going to have to deal with. Be careful, be watchful, be warned. And then we run through like we never heard the voice of God. We go through because that's what I want to do. And I know God told me to watch out, but I don't care. I'm stronger than this. When he told me I wasn't, but I don't believe him. And we find ourselves shipwrecked. I want to get back with God. I want to get closer to the Lord. I don't want to be running from him anymore. Well, there's good news for that too. The reason Paul says that he turns them over to Satan is so that their flesh is destroyed, that their spirit might live. Some of the hardest things when you deal with an addict. An addict has to come to the end of themselves. They have to come to the bottom. You talk to them, you tell them, you show them, they'll agree with you. Yep, I see what I'm doing. I know that it's wrong. I know how I got there and I know how to avoid it. Now give me some more. And it doesn't make sense to you. But that's because they have to come to the end. They have to come to the conclusion. They have to shipwreck. The flesh has to be destroyed till there's nothing left and all they have 
All that God wants anyway to work with is their spirit, not the flesh. Got to bring them to the end of themselves. Paul says, I've turned over Hymenius and Alexander. I've delivered them to Satan. And here's why. Not because I want to get rid of them. Not because I want to send them to hell. I don't have that power and authority. I do it so that they learn not to blaspheme. Because they were teaching blasphemous things. Timothy, if I had to do it, you're going to have to do it. See, Timothy may be racking his brain. How do I keep everything intact? How do I keep the leadership leadership? How do I keep the church happy? How do I keep it from splitting? How do I keep people from leaving? That's what he's trying to work with. How do I do this right so that nobody's feelings get hurt and everybody loves me in the end? <laughs> Timothy, it doesn't work like that. It only works like that if the people that are listening to you receive it. If they don't, there's nothing you can do about that. It still has to be done. It still has to be said. Regardless, it's tough. Timothy, you've been given a mandate. You've been given a command. I'm behind you. You're my son. I'm behind you. I've told you what to do. I'm telling you how to do it. I'm telling you I've done it before. I'm telling you you're worthy. Paul is giving, giving Timothy everything he can do to say, remain, remain, and do what you're called to do. Finish the job for the sake of the people, for the sake of the sheep. And even more important, because God called you to do it. God said so. Very important. And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his heart. He knows what Timothy is about to go through and is going through. He knows the thoughts and the doubts, the difficulties. I'm just thankful that he's a good father, not to say, Timothy, just catch up with me and let's leave him behind. He, he tells him to stay, to remain, to do the hard things, to, to wage warfare against that which is trying to rip off the gospel from the saints. This false doctrine that's stealing joy and stealing grace and mercy from their hearts, laying burdens upon them and putting them in bondage again from what they were set free. That's what Christ came to do. And the chains are being put back on. Timothy, wage good warfare. Lord, we thank you for Paul's heart, for people, for freedom, for liberty, for forgiveness. And he's not willing to compromise in any of those areas for anybody. I pray that you give us that same stout heart, Lord, a love and a gentleness, of course, but also... We understand it's a command that we're going to do it. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us such a a sure foundation to stand upon your word. We can stand upon this word. We can run our lives and build our lives from your word. We can trust your word in every way. Thank you for that. We don't ever have to wonder. It's truth. We bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.